Welcome to the Jung Anthology Podcast, Analytical Psychology Seminars from the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. Today, we have an interview with Fanny Brewster. She will be the keynote speaker at this year's Founders Day Symposium on March 21st. Dr. Fanny Brewster is a Jungian analyst and a professor at Pacifica Graduate Institute. She is a writer of nonfiction, including African Americans and Jungian psychology, Leaving the Shadows, Archetypal Grief, Slavery's Legacy of Intergenerational Child Loss, and The Racial Complex, A Jungian Perspective on Culture and Race. Her poems have been published in Psychological Perspectives Journal, where she was the featured poet. Dr. Brewster is an international lecturer and workshop presenter on Jungian-related topics that address culture, diversity, and creativity. She is a faculty member at the New York C.G. Jung Foundation and the Philadelphia Association of Jungian Analysts. She is interviewed by Adina Davidson, Ph.D. Dr. Davidson is a Jungian analyst in Cleveland, Ohio, member of the Chicago Society of Jungian Analysts, and a recent graduate of our analyst training program. There will be a link to register for the Founders Day Symposium in our show notes. Uh, as of this recording, it is currently uh, February 28th, and we have a discount code available to register for the Founders Day Symposium at the early bird rate, which is $15 off, but it's only valid through February 29th. Um, so if you listen to this very quickly and happen to uh, want to register, you can register within the next day. For $15 off, the coupon code is FD15. You just need to enter the coupon code on the cart page before checkout. So now here's the interview. Well, is it okay if I call you Fanny? Yes, that's fine. Okay, okay great. And it's okay if I call you Adina? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, good. When people call me Dr. Davidson, I'm looking over my shoulder for my dad, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so how did you get drawn to Jung, to Jungian psychology initially? So um, my beginning or entry, beginnings or entry with Jungian psychology, I think, um, and this may be true for all of us, though we don't realize it until later, was um, being a young child and being interested in my dreams and so um, at a fairly young age, I was having, um, I guess I would call them extremely archetypal uh, dreams and uh, started writing them down. They brought me a lot of fear, a good amount of anxiety and stress, um, but they were really interesting. And I, I realized years later that, um, you know, they were almost biblical in a sense. And so I came into. Would you here. talk more about that? Would you be willing to talk more about the the biblical feel of, of them? Yeah, yeah. They these dreams. Um, when I got older and I started reading um, more of the Bible as a study here and there, um, I realized that these dreams, like they were like Ezekiel's dreams. You know, they were like. Oh wow. Yeah, they were really. Chariot. And yes, intense and in the heavens and stars falling and all kinds of dreams like that, you know. So that was, I think, a, a mirroring in my own unconscious around what was happening in the, the daily life, right? Like there was just a lot of 
um, movement and a lot of unconscious material constantly being stirred up within my family life. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, not just on that ego level, but on an unconscious level. So I think it got reflected as a kid, you know, in my dream world, because, you know, my ego, of course, is not able to assimilate it or figure it out, you know? Yeah. So that, yeah, that was the first thing. And then, you know, years later, fast forward, you know, I was telling a colleague who I was working with um, in the, a different field, not psychology. I was saying to her, you know, I really wish I could just work on my dreams and that's what I really wanted to do all the time. And why couldn't I do that all the time? And she said, I know a place you could go and do that all the time and study it, you know, and it wound up being Pacifica Graduate Institute. So I started there um, in my, now intentionally focused work, dream work. And, um, and then it just opened up so many other things from there. But that was actually the first place I went to begin that. So, so I came into the dreams. I was going to say, it was really your dream life that brought you. Mm-hmm. Were you already a psychologist when you went to study at Pacifica? Or? No, I was a clinician. I was a, a speech-language pathologist in doing oh. the, play therapy with children um, who had communication disorders. I, I can't, I come from a play therapy background also. Mm. I was thinking mm. as you were um, describing the archetypal nature of the dreams and the way that you were um, compensating for coping with the, the family consciousness and how it would how it was so archetypal I, I think that's child psychology right I yeah think children live in the archetypal realm in part because they haven't developed strong egos yet mm-hmm. so that I think children's dreams my experience is that children's dreams are almost always very archetypal there's much less of that sort of personal layer to, to children's dreams. And, they're, and not just their dreams, but their, their fantasies, their imagination, all of that is... Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody, somebody, someday somebody should write a book about, about it, about children's dreams and children's, like the, really following the archetypal paths. But, yes. Um, Yes, I think I think that would be that would be great to do. Um, um, Jung um, did some seminars on children's dreams, um, but I think to have us have a more current um, idea about it or perspective on it would be really great. Um, and my memory, and I might be wrong, is that he really worked with one child's dreams, mm-hmm. and I would love to see like a a broader cry, like like to really talk to a bunch of clinicians who work with children and collect yeah. a lot of dreams and see. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. I, the current book that I'm working on is with a co-author, a British um, union analyst, but the book, book after that is actually going to be a book about dreams. And oh wow! With privilege, oh. yeah. So wow. that maybe nice we could book. maybe you could do a chapter on children's dreams. Maybe I and... will. It's a good idea. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um. So. 
So that's kind of what brought you in, and it was Pacifica where you got your training. Um, what has, what's your experience as a Jungian analyst been? How long have you been an analyst? What's it been like for you to be an analyst? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I've been an analyst um, for longer, closer to a decade than not, on the other side, okay. you know, just underneath that. Um, I did my doctoral work at Pacifica in the mid-90s, and so that's where I did my um, PhD in clinical psychology and death psychology. And then I had a couple of years off. I left California, went back to New York, and began my work at the, uh, in training to become a Jungian analyst at the New York Institute. So I, that's where oh, I did you, And if you were to describe the way you work as an analyst, how would you, how would you describe that? Um, you know, it's, it actually is fairly eclectic, <laughs> even though I'm a Jungian analyst, I think that, I think that's a part of the quality of the work that we do, because um, I, I think Jung himself did not have many techniques, like it's not a, it's not a psychoanalytical experience of techniques, it's, you learn certain things that are part of a, I think a Jungian psychological frame. And then you um, do you have an experience of the work, and then from that experience, then you deepen the process of the of the analysis. And I think that's also why it takes time to do it. It's not, you know, short term. It can be shorter with young pe younger people. I think Jung was right about that. But it really is a depth psychology, and it takes time to get into all of those. Um, dream crevices and little um, places that you have to kind of squeeze into psychologically and be able to hold. And I, I think that, um, you know, in Jungian psychology, you know, we focus on the transference, which is really important. We focus on dream work, mm -hmm. which is really important. Uh, we may do active imagination. Like there's certain things that we we really focus on and think about, like the complex, right? My latest book is called The Racial Complex, a Jungian Perspective on Culture and Race. So it looks at that as um, looking at it in a bit more finely tuned way than Jung did. So there are all these different ways that we could be, that we are Jungian analysts. And I think we find that place that belongs to us. Like we find that, um, location that feels like home to us from the work, mm. and the work oh, from there. I love that, I love that. Yeah. You just said that you're, the book that's coming out or that is about the racial complex. I'm wondering, could you describe the ways that you've experienced that cultural complex as an analyst um, in the analytic community and in your work with analysands? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think it happens um, concurrently in the work. And I don't, because we're Americans, when Jung first came to America and started um, talking and writing a little bit about African Americans, which he wrote a little bit about, um, calling us Negroes, which was the term at the time, right? Um, and then he talked about Africans and just generally Africanist people. And so it wasn't that 
he didn't say anything about us, but a good amount of what he did say turned out to be not reflected on Africanist people in a positive way. So when I came back into looking at um, complexes, of course, in my own training, as in your training, you worked on complexes. You worked on your own complex. You worked on your patients' complexes. You know, it's a, it's a major component of Jungian work, Jungian psychology. And what has been remiss, omitted, or historically within Jungian psychology, treated um, poorly and in a, racial, a racially inspired way that I would say was negative, right? Including what Jung, some of what Jung wrote. The work that I've been doing and what I sit with in the session is ethnicity, culture, um, the fact that we live in a collective that has institutions and structures with racism built into it. Um, we live in a world that has ethnic differences. And as far as Jungian psychology is concerned, Jung was unable to, um, to let's say, treat Africanist people very kindly in his, in his writings and in the collected works. So coming back in and writing a book like The Racial Complex acknowledges the um, history of what Jung first said, which was, you know, we have these differences and um, he, they, it was called a color complex back then in the early 1930s, right? By Jung and another writer. Um, so we, you know, there are these color, com there's a color complex. And so I've brought it forward or tried to bring it forward into the 21st century so that we can really explore more of that complex um, and, and, and uh, deconstruct what Jung was saying in terms of Africanist people and that complex in particular, because very few people have worked with that. Michael Vanoy Adams has, um, I think Sam Kimball's has with his book, Phantom Narratives, um, looking at you know, cultural complexes and Tom Singer has, but there aren't others who have done it um, generally or deeply. And so, um, so I think that that complex um, as a part of is activated in us on an individual level, even if we don't talk about it in session because we're Americans and because we do have these different ethnicities and especially with what's going on now in the collective um, and politically, it brings it maybe even more so to the forefront. Yeah, there's really a, a fire under that that under that complex right now that I think is both bringing it out behaviorally in some obviously extremely ugly ways mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. also in that duplex way forcing us to be more conscious of it mm -hmm. um, so it yeah, it's, I mean, it, I think for all of the other complexes that are in the soup of the United States, they are all particularly alive right now. Mm -hmm. um, in, and 
And, and it really reminds me, um, I'm sure you've read Jung's essay, Wotan. Mm -hmm. And that idea that there are times where because human beings aren't putting energy into certain archetypal patterns, they get kind of dried up. Mm -hmm. But then the rain starts and the river fills up and those archetypal patterns gain enormous power. And I think that we're very much in a time that that essay is really relevant again. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. Yeah, I wish it weren't, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, well, I think that um, Jung was correct when he talked about complexes as, you know, being a part of our unconscious selves that they don't go away. I think he was correct about that. And I think that, you know, we work on these complexes. First, we have to be aware that they're there. And so that's, I think, a part of my own work is trying to help us develop a language for our complexes, you know, mm -hmm. like the racial complex. Well, what does that mean? What is that about? You know, mm -hmm. and to try to get an understanding of just complexes generally, and then coming back to um, this, particular this particular complex, because we, you know, as Jungians, we've spent so many years dealing with our parental complexes and we will continue to, because that's the work. So we get ready, we get ready to see it. We have come, bring it out of shadow and then we just keep working it, you know, really, I think for the rest of our lives, you know, sometimes it's through the dream work and sometimes it's just through, um, a slip, a Freudian slip, or, you know, sometimes it's just going crazy in the moment, you know, mm -hmm. around a particular mm -hmm. thing that triggers us and we get constellated, right, around that complex. And I think, as you just said, for us as Jungians, the parental complexes are very much front and center. But I know um, my, from my own ethnicity, I'm Jewish, you know, reading through the collected works um, and where I trained in Chicago, you read through a lot of the collected works. That's mm. a big part of the training. The kind of um, assumed and casual anti-Semitism that is in Jung's writings right up until his confrontation with Hitler in, in the late thirties, but from, you know, from the Zafingia lectures right up until World War II, mm -hmm. there was just this casual and assumed anti-Semitism, racism, diminishment of women. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to be mean. He was just swimming in the water that he swam in. And it was, it's, it's painful to read. But I also think that in the way that we've done a very good job of bringing into consciousness our parental complexes, we've done a less thorough job bringing into consciousness these racial and ethnic complexes. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that work like yours of naming it, of describing it, 
is really centrally important right now. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And I, I don't think that we have, of course, we haven't spent time talking about or dealing with it. And, you know, Jung, when he talked about complexes, says nobody in their right mind wants to deal with complexes. And he's right. I mean, I, it's the least thing, least of our um, items from the unconscious that we want to deal with. And yet, um, you know, we are swimming in a particular time period where um, I think our complexes are getting so much more activated, cultural complexes and there's so much going on and talk around culture and, you know, our own kinship and our own tribes. And, you know, and so it's a good time to bring something back that Jung actually touched on that others have not picked up in close to a hundred years, honestly, because we're there. And I think it's important, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, very much agree. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you just kind of relatedly, if you could talk a little bit about what you were planning to teach at Founders Day. Yeah. Um, well, it's a day when, um, you know, talking about the founder, right? <laughs> and trying to consider how um, we want to bring ideas together from uh, from myself from the red book mm -hmm. and how we because my talk will be about you know the spirit of the times and this versus the spirit of the depths and so in that conversation it's like looking at Jung's red book and looking at what he wrote um, throughout that book that book came from of course the black books which I understand is going to be published um, yeah, I've heard that. not to maybe distant future I don't know, but it, it would be good. So the Red Book is based on that, but based on, you know, Jung's time of feeling um, split and in anguish and really suffering during um, partic a particular time in his life, his uh, confrontation with the unconscious, as he called it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, the talk for me will be about um, looking at our own individual selves as well as looking at the collective and looking at both of those spaces you know the space of the depths you know as well as the space of the times because that's where we are and if we talk about opposites in Jung, which we do in Jungian psychology it's like looking at those two places like in Jung talking about you know with the spirit of the of the um depths required and uh, how he didn't want to really go there into the depths. Mm -hmm. and um, But he was also exhausted and weary of being with the spirit of the times because he felt he had reached a point with being there, more ego-functioning level, more living that kind of life, and and he needed to go deeper. And so traveling with the spirit of the depths gave him that opportunity to travel with his soul you know, to travel with um, the red one, to travel with um, the lowly, you know, dealing with issues around um, narcissism and, and all of those kinds of things that we all still deal with. You know? so, and his, what he considered his feminine qualities. Yes. Mm -hmm. I yes. mean, I think, I think 
and Jung talked about the spirit of the times. He's very much talking about empirical, rational, scientific method. Mm -hmm. And when he talked about the spirit of the depths, he was much more talking about his feeling side and these. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what, if those were the spirit of, if that was the spirit of the times in the teens, in the, the 19 teens, um, what do you think the spirit of the times is now? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, I think we, we can see it in our politics. Okay. And I think that he saw it in our politics. Um, I think that it has to do with our, our own suffering, personal suffering. There is a lot of suffering in the world. And um, I think that's a part of the spirit of our times. Like we still have children, brown children, who are in cages or in foster care situations where they should not be. So our collective suffering is huge. We now have a coronavirus that uh, we're trying to figure out how to handle it, deal with it. What is the science for helping us um, find um, something, a quote unquote cure, right? Um, and so we have the politics of even um, splitting in that area with some people saying we're not doing enough. Um, billions of dollars just got rewarded or awarded for that. Um, a few days ago and you know there's some people saying you know that's just not enough money like we need more we have a president who says oh everything is fine you know it's okay we're handling it and yet i think there's an unrest in us so i think you know metaphorically this and it's more than metaphorically because people are literally dying from it you know that this represents this virus that's traveling the world is really also a sign of the spirit of our times, you know, and how we are um, suffering. I, I'm um, in the middle of reading Jeremiah right now, actually, speaking of the Bible, back from our original conversation. Yeah. And one of the things that, it, it's very chilling, actually, to read Jeremiah in our times. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that he rails against are the leaders the leaders that keep saying it's fine when the people are sacrificing their children to Baal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I mean I'm like oh, you could be on the op-ed page of the New York Times this week you know mm -hmm. thinking of those archetypal patterns that keep repeating everything is fine don't worry your little heads about this we've got it when the human suffering is so immense. Mm, it's true. And it, and it is all around the world. And mm -hmm. um, not just for us in America, of course, because we are global. And, um, and so we need to have that perspective. We do. And if, if part of the racial complex is that ability to dehumanize the other, we do that racially, ethnically in the United States, but we also do it just simply because people live elsewhere. They are less human, they are less 
their suffering means less because they are from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yes, or we scapegoat them. You know, Sylvia Pereira wrote, um, you know, about this, about the scapegoat. And mm-hmm. so we do that. And I just saw something on, um, was it YouTube? It was on the news, Amazon, uh, not Amazon, um, AOL, about um, a man on the subway who was just ranting and raving. He saw a woman who he assumed was Chinese. She says in the interview that she was not Chinese. Um and ranting and raving and saying, you know, things about her that were discriminatory and racist. Hmm? We see we one of the ways that we see the other is as disease carriers. That's right. And you know, in projecting that sick other onto another person, another group of people culturally, you know, that's an activation of a racial complex and and we are seeing it you know and diseases seem to always be carried by um an other that is a person of color like aids for africans or you know it just seems to be like that you know that it's it's not with um whites or nothing originates there that is you know not pure right. and not white so um which is that's that's how that um, is. So we have to keep talking about these things. So it's, that's really interesting to think about how the racial complex, like all complexes, it like it it it's our lens out into the world and onto every, including a disease, right? Mm-hmm. If we see everything through those complex lenses. Yes. Yes. Well, I think we only have maybe a couple more minutes. Oh, sure. So I mean, if there's anything else you want people to know about what you're planning to, to teach about or about your books, if there's kind of any last stuff you want to make sure gets into yeah. the, the conversation. Well, I invite... Um people of Chicago to, and surrounding areas to come to Founders Day and uh, let us talk about our spirit, you know, and talk about the ways in which we are connected and the ways in which we um, long to be even more connected with one another. Because I think in the end, we're all trying to be loved. We're all trying to get love. We're all trying to... Um, understand how to have compassion for one another and um, how to take care of ourselves and to take care of others as best we can. So I'm hoping it'll be a day like that as we deal with spirit. Well, thank you so much for spending some time talking to me about, about this. And I really, really am looking forward to reading your book. I can't wait. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I look forward to being there. It won't be that long now. No, a few more weeks. Yeah, yeah, just a couple more weeks. All right, thank you, Adina. All right, bye-bye. Take care. Thank you, you too.
This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like as long as you maintain the attribution to the speaker, but please do not change it or sell it. If you like this episode, tell your friends about us or leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about classes, training programs, videos, audio, this podcast, or to find a Jungian analyst near you, visit our website, www.jungchicago.org. Thank you to our 2019 supporter-level donors, Bill Alexi, Busha and Ashok Beatty, Circle Center Yoga, Arlo and Rena Kampan, Eric Cooper and Judith Cooper, Lorna Crowell, D. Scott Dayton, George J. Didier, Rama Krishnan Full Bloom Lotus, Suzanne G. Rosenthal, Deborah Stutzman, Deborah Tobin, Alexander Wayne and Lynn Kopp, and Gerald Weiner. If you would like to support this podcast, you can donate on our website, youngchicago.org.